the story of a man who was born about the same time that Jesus was born. So if you think about Jesus was born and placed in a manger, well, possibly that same year or maybe the next, there was a baby born in a faraway place called Tarsus. He was born in the city of Tarsus to a dad and mom who were both Jewish. But while they were Jewish, they were also Roman citizens. That meant they were Jews, yes, and they practiced the Jewish religion, but they were citizens of the Roman government. They weren't servants. They weren't slaves. They were free people, the dad and mom. Nobody knows exactly how he got his freedom, but it very well could have been when he was uh, around the time Paul was born, or maybe before, um, there had been some wars going on, and some people think his dad fought in the wars for the Romans, and so he earned his, may have earned his freedom that way, and or at least earned his citizenship. And so he's born in the city of Tarsus. His parents were very, very religious, and while Tarsus is way up here, and Jerusalem is way down here, his parents practice the Jewish faith. In fact, they were what you call Pharisees. And if you read in the Bible all the things Jesus said about Pharisees in the Gospels, just imagine that Paul and his dad would have, or Saul rather at this point, and his dad would have been the same way. You know, they go to the um, temple to give an offering. They might just hire somebody to blow a trumpet so that everybody gets to see them when they throw the money in. Um, you know, they go out on the street corner and they pray so that everybody can see how spiritual they are and everybody can see them. Oh, but when, when it's time to pray, they pray really long prayers in church so that everybody can hear how good they talk to God. And a lot of the things that they did were far a show. They studied the Bible a lot, the Old Testament that they had, but they also spent a lot of time, possibly more time according to what Jesus said studying what people said about the Bible rather than what the Bible really said. In fact, there's um, a, a group of um, Jews today that are very similar to Paul's, uh, to Saul's family's way of living out Judaism. And um, I, I, I watched one of them on Instagram last week. And they were explaining a number of things about the way they do things. And what was really sad, but yet funny to me at the same time, was some of the things they said they do because the Bible says so. But the things they were saying, I have read the Bible. I have recently read the law. And nowhere in the law does it say some of the things that they were saying that the law said to do. And so there were all of these practices. The husband in this family, he's not allowed out of bed in the morning until he's washed his hands. So he keeps water and there's a special ritual and you have to wash this hand so many times and then this hand so many times because you're doing this and you're cleansing your body because you were dead while you were sleeping. And then you get up and you have to ritually cleanse yourself. And remember Jesus talking about in Mark how that, um, that there were things like the washing of hands and of pots. And then he told the Pharisees, and so do ye. Well, there are still Jews around today that do those types of things. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with washing your hands when you get out of bed in the morning. But when it becomes part of your ritual and part of that becomes more important than people, then there's a problem. And that was the case of these people's son. In fact, they were teaching him to love 
the Bible. They were, or the Old Testament that had been written so far. They were teaching him to love God. But the way they did it was very strange. In fact, they didn't even understand God, but there came a certain point, probably when he was about 14 years old, his parents sent him down here to Jerusalem. They wanted to get him out of Tarsus because the city of Tarsus was one of the great university towns for the Roman Empire. So if you were going to go and learn, study philosophy and um, study the writings of the Greeks and the Romans, you're going to go here to Tarsus to study. Well, his parents didn't want him studying there. They wanted him to get away from the Roman influences that he grew up in. So they sent him to Jerusalem and he went to college in Jerusalem at the school of Gamaliel so that he could study the law and the prophets, and he could study the people who wrote and talked about the law and the prophets, and he could learn to be a good Pharisee. Well, he became a very good Pharisee. In fact, he became so impassioned with wanting to make everybody keep the law as he understood it, and to, he wanted to punish people who believed in this man called Jesus. Because he realized the people who started following Jesus, they did not look at the law anymore the same way he did. These people believed that Jesus was the Messiah that had been promised by the prophets. And he didn't think so. And so he thought, I've got to help get rid of every Christian that I can. And so that's what he started doing. In fact, when, the, when one of the first martyrs were killed, uh, Stephen, you remember Stephen, the deacon? And they took Stephen and they stoned him to death. Paul said that when he was there, he said, I stood and I guarded the clothes of the people who killed him. So when everybody got out there and they were accusing him of blaspheming God, and they were so angry and they picked up stones, um, Saul said, oh, I don't want your clothes to get messed up. Here, give them to me. I'll watch them for you so they don't get stolen. And he watches their clothes. And he said he was for it. He wanted them to kill Stephen. But then Paul, Saul, got worse. Saul decided, I can figure out how to start arresting these people who were in the way. That's how they referred to Christians at that time. He said, I'm going to, he said, I'm going to go to other countries. And Paul says in the scriptures that he even started going to foreign countries and arresting people. He would go to the high priest and he would get papers from the high priest. And then he would go to a foreign city and go into the synagogue, which is like a church building where the Jews would worship and they'd get together and they'd be reading the law and such, and they'd be talking about the law. And then Saul would come in and Saul explained it that himself that this is how he did it. He would go in. And once he figured out who the Christians were, the people who had believed in Jesus, he would start making fun of them. And then in the synagogue with everybody else, he would try to get them to blaspheme God, to speak against God or to cuss God, so that way, or to deny Jesus. Then if he did these things, if they blasphemed, he would have a reason to arrest them and grab them up right out of the synagogue and arrest them. And he said later that he had many men and women, even in foreign countries that he had gone and arrested and brought back. He said when they would be holding a meeting and they would be, have a, a Christian on trial and they were talking to that Christian and they'd say, tell us, well, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I believe in Jesus. Deny Jesus. And once the person said, I won't deny Jesus, Peter, Paul said that when it came time to vote whether they should kill him or not, Paul said, I voted to kill him. 
So he was arresting people, men and women alike. He was doing what he could, whether it be voting or helping to kill as many Christians as he could. Well, there were Christians who had been persecuted in Jerusalem, and many of them went away to a city called Damascus. What city? Damascus. And apparently there were a great number of Christians living at this time in Damascus. I've got a, uh, a shawl here, a prayer shawl actually, that was made by some women in southern Mexico. And the women who made this are actually, or at least when I was there about a long time ago, 20-something years ago, these women were still persecuted. They lived in the mountains. These women were Presbyterian Christians. And in the mountains there where they lived, people would hurt them, would stone them, would try to kill them for believing in Jesus and being a Presbyterian instead of the religion they wanted them to be. And so those women would make things like this. At home, I have a record player, and it's on a little um, placemat. And inside the weavings of that placemat are hair that came out of the heads of those persecuted women as they were making that fabric. And I brought it to help us remember that today, around the world, there are still Christians who get persecuted, like Paul or Saul was persecuting these. Does anybody know why I keep getting mixed up on his name? Why would he have two names? Did you know that his name Saul is Hebrew? That's what the Jews would call him. His name Paul is Greek. So that's what the Romans would call him. So in the Bible, if you see Paul or Saul, it's the same person. It's just whether he's using his Hebrew name or his Greek name. Well, still today there are persecuted Christians, but Paul set out these Christians who had gone to Damascus. He decided it was time to go and get a bunch of Christians in Damascus and bring them back to Jerusalem for trial so they could kill them. So Paul gets, went to the high priest and he got letters like he normally did when he went out of the country. He went and got letters that would give instructions to the synagogues in Damascus to go and get the Christians. So Paul left. Saul left from Jerusalem and he went up to Damascus, which is the capital of Syria. And he went up into Damascus and on his way to Damascus, Paul said that right before he got there, it was about noon, meaning it was about 12 o'clock, about time to eat lunch. He said, all of a sudden there was a bright light in the sky and it shone down on him so much so that he fell down on the ground. And then he heard a voice. And the voice coming out of the sky said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Well, this scared Saul and all the people that were traveling with him, they could hear a voice. They could hear a noise, but they couldn't tell what it was. And they couldn't see anybody standing there. But crazy Paul is down on the ground and he's talking to somebody. And they don't know who it is. Well, they didn't need to know who it was. Because it was Jesus. And he wasn't there to talk to them. He was there to talk to Saul. And so he asked Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? Because he didn't know it was Jesus. He said, who are you talking to me? He was so scared. And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. A prick is, is like a, a pointy stick. 
that you would use if you were going along behind some cows, maybe. And you're going behind the cows, and all of a sudden the cow just stops in the middle of the road. Have you ever tried to push a cow that doesn't want to move? And so this little pointy stick would be used to poke the, to poke the back of the, um, to poke the back of the cow to make the cow go, ow, and get out of the road. So he, he said, what you're doing, Saul, you're trying to kick against the prick. What was the prick? The Holy Spirit was convicting Saul's heart. I don't know all the things that had happened. There are some people that say that one of his good friends from college in Jerusalem was a man by the name of Barnabas. And Barnabas had already become a Christian. And some people say that Barnabas, becoming a Christian, had already started to work on the heart of Saul. Saul had seen people dying for their faith. He saw Stephen, who was being stoned to death, and with some of his very last breath, looked up into heaven and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, he's here excited that Stephen's going to be dead. And yet Stephen is praying, asking God to forgive him. He had seen a lot of things but he was trying hard to fight against Jesus. And so he said, yeah, it's hard for thee to kick against the bricks. And the Bible says he trembling and astonished. It means he was so scared. He was shaking. He said, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the city and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So he wanted to know, Jesus, what do you want me to do? I'm listening. What do you want? He said, get up and go to the city and it'll be told. So in other words, get into town and just wait. So Saul got up. But the problem was Saul couldn't see. There was, there, he, he, you know, if you look into the sun or if you see, look into a light, it makes you kind of blinded for a minute and you see spots. Well, Saul was like that, but only worse. And the Bible says it was like there were scales on his eyes. He just couldn't see anymore. And so they took him by the hand and they led him into town. And he went to this street that's called Straight. The street called Straight. What's the name of the street? Straight. Straight. And the street called Straight goes from the east to the west gates of the city of Damascus. It's called by a different name today, but they say that it's still there. That same road is still there through town. Well, living on this road was a man by the name of Judas, and he was a Jew. And so he went to the house of Judas. And the Bible says that for three days he, he didn't eat, he didn't drink, he just waited. Now, somewhere during this time, God spoke to him and told him that a man was going to come, and he was going to lay hands on him, and he'd be able to see again. And that he would tell him what to do. Well, during those three days, as he was waiting and as he was fasting and as he was praying, something happened across town. There was another Jewish man, but this man was a Christian. He believed in Jesus. His name was Ananias. What was his name? Ananias. God spoke to Ananias. And God said, there is one. He has come into town. He's at the, on the street called Straight. The street called what? And he is staying at the house of Judas. And I want you to go to him. His name is Saul. And I want you to go to him. You want me to do what? And so he starts talking to God about this. He says, now God, don't you know that this man has a reputation? He's been arresting people and he's been killing people for believing in your name. And he has come to Damascus with papers to arrest us. Why do you think he was nervous? He wasn't sure whether 
I don't know, maybe he thought God had taken a nap and didn't know about Saul or what? Do you think God had taken a nap? He sleeps, he slumbers not, nor he sleeps. He's watching over his people. But I don't blame Brother Ananias. I would have been scared too. Because if I'm going to go to the house, it would be like going and getting yourself into a trap on purpose. And so Ananias felt like this was a really crazy idea. But God told him, he said, I want you to go in. And he says in Acts 9, 15, go the way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me. He says, I have chosen him. You know what the word vessel means? It's a pot. He is a chosen pot. I have picked him out to be a special pot. This is a pot. The ancient Romans, they believed that all of us are just pots. Our bodies are pots. And we just live in them for a little while. I don't know where they thought they went next. But anyway, they believed that human bodies were just pots. Well, guess what? That's true. Our bodies are like pots that the real us lives inside of. And our, our spirit and our soul live inside our bodies. And we're taught that in the New Testament. Well, God said, Saul is now my pot. And I put some, I'm putting something inside of him. And he's going to have to deliver it. Well, oh, look, there's something inside of it. So we're going to say this is Paul the pot. And we're in a minute going to find out what's inside of it. And we're going to figure out who he's supposed to deliver it to. But let's keep reading. He says, he is a chosen pot. He's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Huh? He's a pot. And who's he going to talk to? Number one, he's going to talk to Gentiles. Okay. Let's see. Oh, right here. What does it say? Gentiles. Okay, I need a girl volunteer. How about right down here? You be my first, you can be my first girl volunteer. I want you to hold the word Gentile. In fact, I want you to stand right here on the step, on the first step, and just hold up the word Gentile. Don't look inside, okay? Don't don't let us see what's inside of it, okay? Uh, let's see. And I need Matthew. Would you come up here, Matthew? And you're gonna be a Gentile. Anybody know what a Gentile is? A Gentile is a person who is not a Jew. Let's say that again. A Gentile is a person who is not a what? Meaning you are not a descendant of Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had, yeah, you did not. What did I do? There we go. Um, a descendant of Abraham. Okay, we're going to stick this back here and we're going to pretend it fits you. Okay. But in those days, the main Gentiles that Paul was supposed to talk to were, some of the main ones, were Romans. Okay, stick your left arm out. There we go. I just realized. Okay. And then here you go. You have your sword. Okay, so you're going to represent the Gentile peoples. Some of the first ones he's going to talk to are what? What, and specifically, what were the first group, of, main group of Gentiles he might be talking to to start with? Romans, that's right. They're going to arrest him. They're going to take him to their capital. They're going to end up killing him in their capital. Okay, come over here and you stand by the word Gentile. Okay, so you represent all of us. How many of y'all are Gentiles? How many of y'all are Jews? Okay, since nobody raised their hands for Jews, we're actually Gentiles, right? Okay, but uh, let's see. Secondly, he said, you're going to bear my name to kings. He was going to have to talk to royalty. There were some very special rulers of the modern world of that time he was going to give the gospel to. 
So right here, Miss June, can you come up? And I want you to stand by Matthew and you hold up the word Kings. Don't look inside. We don't need to see what the message is yet. But he's going to talk to who? Number one, he's going to talk to. Number two, he's going to talk to. Okay, uh, Mr. Creed, why don't you come on up? And you can stand by your sister and you get to be a king. Well, you're a giant king, so. I mean, it's only fitting. You are your father's son, so. Yeah. This would probably fit your dad. Okay, let's of see. He, of course that would. He's a giant. Okay, let's see. And there we go, a crown. There you go. So you stand by your sister. So you hold up. So the first group of people, the main group of people that Paul was supposed to give a message to was who? Gentiles. Number two was? Now, are any of us kings? Any of us royalty? Okay. No, none of us are royalty. Um, I am told that the bakers are actually descendants of royalty in England many, 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 many years ago, probably before they had any jewels or wealth or anything. And that's why we're all broke. But um, let's see. The th okay. Then the pot. Who's the pot? Paul. The pot, Brother Paul, has to carry a message to a third group of people, Jews. And he specifically worded it here to him, the house of who? The house of I Israel. So my house of Israel, messenger, you want to come hold that? You come stand by Creed, hold it up. Don't peek inside. Don't see what the message is. We got to keep it a secret for a minute. Brother Saul doesn't even know he's doing this yet. So, and then I need a high priest. Do you want to come help me? Yo, Isaiah, I'm not a high priest, but you'll be one of the priests. Here you go. Let's see. Wow. Here we go. I'll help you. Now you can walk up under the step. There you go. And you can stand right. Wow. Right there. So he's going to represent the children of Israel, the Jewish nation. There we go. So number one, he was going to talk to who? Number two? Number three? <clears throat> Listen what he says. Go thy way and tell Saul Thou art a chosen vessel unto me. You're going to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now, let's open up the message to the Gentiles. What does it say? Jesus. Oh, can you show everybody? Who is he going to tell the Gentiles about? Jesus. Oh, now let's see what his message was going to be to the kings. When he got to testify before kings, what, who would he talk about? What does that say? Jesus, show everybody. He's going to tell them about who? So he's going to tell the Gentiles about. He's going to tell the kings about. And he's going to tell the Jews about. Jesus. So he's going to tell the Gentiles about. He's going to tell the kings about. He's going to tell the Jews about. And when you read the Bible, if you read in Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 22, it is the story of Paul telling about him getting saved on the road to Damascus, and he's telling it to the Jews. But Acts 26 is another story of him getting saved on the road to Damascus, and it's him telling it to the, to the kings. And the kings were Gentiles. In fact, he talks about getting saved to Galatians and to Philippians, and those churches had Gentiles in them. 
So he was telling his testimony to all three groups of people. Let's give them all a hand. Thank you. Thank you. Now, you boys, if y'all will go right over here, Miss Joanna will help y'all derobe and she'll dethrone Creed. <clears throat> so let's read that again. He said, go thy way, Ananias, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear what? What was he going to take in his pot? The name of? He said before, what was the first group? Gentiles and kings and Jews, the children of Israel. He said, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So he said right up front, we're going to tell him that it's not going to be easy. He's going to be persecuted. Well, brother Ananias obeyed Jesus and he went to the house and he talked to Paul, to Saul. And when he got to the house, the Bible says that he comes walking in. I need, who has not helped me? Have you helped me? Okay, come on, James. Stand right here. So you're going to be Brother Paul, and you're in the house. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 9 that when he came into the house and he saw Saul. Well, let me ask you a question. Was anybody paying attention in church this morning? Brother Paul, many years later, wrote the letter to Philemon. And he said, when you see someone who has hurt you, he said, you receive them as a, a brother. Paul got this example from Ananias. Ananias, who had been scared he was going to kill him. The Bible says that Ananias walked in the house and he walked up to Brother Paul and he put his hands on him. And he said, Brother Saul. He didn't say Saul. He said, brother Saul, showing he was accepting him into the family of God. He was forgiving him for all the people he had helped kill that were Christians. And he laid his hands on him. And immediately the Bible says it was like scales fell off his eyes and brother Saul could see. And he told him, what hinders you from being baptized and from receiving the remission or the forgiveness of your sins. So apparently up to this point, Brother Saul hadn't quite yet totally surrendered himself to God. And you know what he did? He totally believed in Jesus. And then he went and Brother Ananias took him and dunked him. I don't know where he dunked him, but he dunked him somewhere and he baptized him. And then they came in the house and they sat down and they ate. You can go sit down. And the Bible says that he got, he received his strength again and immediately he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And we talked about it last Sunday night. When someone is filled with the Holy Ghost, what is the main reason that we have the Holy Ghost? So we can tell others about Jesus. Guess what happened to brother Saul? He got filled with the Holy Ghost. He went and ate some food. And then he went to the synagogue and he stood up and he started preaching to them. Oh, he ate. I forgot. I had a picture of the meeting. There we go. And he went to the synagogue and he stood up and he started telling them about Jesus and how Jesus could forgive their sins. Well, the Bible says his testimony was so powerful and he would do things like take the old Testament and show them that Jesus would save them. In fact, uh, he later wrote to the, uh, to the Romans and Romans 10, 13 
Read it with me. For he said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those, that was a quote from the Old Testament book of Joel. So he could take the Bible. He knew the Bible well, right? He was a Pharisee. Well, now all of a sudden he realized that Jesus was Messiah. He's the one told about. So he could go to the synagogue and start showing them how that Jesus was the, pro, the, the Messiah from the Old Testament. Well, they, some of the Jews believed him. Some of them didn't like him. Some of them got saved. He said in Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So he starts telling them stuff like this. And a bunch of them were happy. They listened. They believed. In fact, his testimony and his preaching was so powerful. The Bible says that some of the Jews started trying to argue with him, but they could not even debate him because he was so powerful at proving that Jesus was the Messiah that they finally decided there was only one thing they could do. We can't reason with him. We can't convince him. And we can't argue with him in public because we look dumb. And that helps convince people. So they said there's only one thing left. We've got to shut him up. And there's only one way to make this man stop talking. We're going to have to kill him. So some of the Jews in town made a plan. They made a secret plan. We're going to guard the gates. And when he comes outside of the gate, we'll catch him. And then we'll take him aside. And we'll kill him. And this man, Saul, cannot preach anymore if he's dead. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Okay, you go to that gate and you go to this gate and you go guard that gate. Okay, everybody ready? Okay, and they made their plans. But they had a problem. As they guarded the gates, Brother Saul found out. And now, since seeing that Brother Ananias called him Brother Saul, I love calling him Brother Saul. Well, Brother Saul found out. So the Christians got together and said, we can't let them kill this guy. We've got to let him go back to Jerusalem and meet with the Christians there. So they devised a plan. When the sun went down and it got dark, since we can't let him out the gate, and the gate's the only way outside of the city, we'll get a big basket and we'll tie a rope on it. And we'll put Brother Saul in the basket and we'll let him down the side of the wall. Okay, so they made a plan. On a specific night, they would do it. And so they all gathered because they really thought this brother Saul, he needed to escape because he had a great work to do. Because remember, God had told brother Ananias, he's got to preach the gospel to who? To Gentiles. And there weren't many Gentiles believers at this point. To Gentiles and kings and Jews, they said, we've got to get him out safe so he can go preach like God told him to. So they put him in the basket and they got him over the wall and they started lowering the basket down the wall. Can you imagine? Do you think that might be a little scary for Brother Saul? He gets in a basket, not a box, not a crane. It's not held up by a cable. It's held up by an old timey rope. And he gets inside and they start lowering him down. And as he goes down into the darkness of night, Brother Saul disappears. And to find out what happens next, you have to come back next month. Did Brother Saul escape?
You think so? Well, you know what? God called him to be a missionary to, and I know I keep reviewing this, but this is really important. Who are the three groups? Number one, to the Gentiles. And that was his main group. That, weren't, that wasn't the first people he was going to witness to, but that was going to be his main group. Secondly, to, and number three, to, to the Jews. But you know what? There may be some of you that God is calling to be a missionary or to be a preacher or to be someone who's an evangelist that spends their time going and telling other people about Jesus. One of the people that trained me to work with kids when I was uh, a young preacher was a little lady by the name of Miss Jean Summers. Miss Jean Summers had been a mom by the time I knew her. She was um, retired, but she had been a mom and she had like three kids. And her husband wasn't a Christian, but she loved Jesus and she thought she should be a missionary. But what does she do when her husband's not even a Christian? So she asked her husband, can I go out and do Bible clubs during the day when you're gone to work? Well, he didn't care about Bible clubs. He didn't care about the kids because he didn't know Jesus. He told his wife, as long as supper's on the table, when I get home, you can do whatever you want. So every day after school, she would take her kids out and she would do Bible clubs by herself and her two little kids. And then she would go out and she'd do Bible clubs and hurry home and fix supper. And when her husband got home, anyway, before he died, he became a Christian. And her son was one of the people that trained me and my brother and my sister to witness to kids. But Miss Jean Summers was one of those primary people that influenced my life at Smite Camp. She had been a missionary in her own neighborhoods. She was a mom. First, she was a missionary to her kids. And then she was a missionary to kids in her neighborhood. There's no telling where God may want you to go. But I want to challenge you kids to start now asking God, what is your plan for my life? Maybe you're like Brother Saul, and God has something very specific for you. You need to start asking God now, God, what do you want me to do? And the first step to knowing what God wants you to do with your life is to tell God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And God will show you. Why don't we pray now? Would y'all like to tell that to God? Would y'all like to tell God, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for each one of these kids, each one of these parents. Lord, I pray that you would just work in all of our hearts, that we would know your perfect will. Lord, I pray for each of these kids. Lord, I know that you want to show them your plan much more than they want to even know it. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd help each one of these kids to be surrendered to you, and that you would call some of these guys to be preachers, and that you would call these kids to... Um, Lord, I know every one of them is called to share the gospel. And I pray we would all be faithful to do that and that you would work and you would raise up some mighty leaders in your church from this group of kids. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, let's all stand together and let's from our